This episode of the Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by the Door County Community Foundation, inspiring people to give back, to sustain, and advance the community that we love. To learn more, visit givedoorcounty.org. Welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast. My name is Grace Johnson. I'm the assistant editor here at the Peninsula Pulse. And today I am joined by a special guest, Sean Hill. Sean is a poet. He has two books of poetry out currently, Dangerous Goods, which was awarded the Minnesota Book Award in Poetry, and also Blood Ties and Brown Liquor, which was named one of the 10 best books all Georgians should read in 2015. This year, he is also serving as the poetry judge for our HAL Prize. He is the assistant professor in creative writing program at University of Montana and has also served as the director of the Minnesota Northwoods Writers Conference at Bemidji State University since 2012. So welcome, Sean. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. So we kind of put these podcasts together. We'd really like our submitters and any listeners who are interested in poetry or writing just to get to know a little bit more about you. So I'm going to start off with a broad question here, which is just, can you introduce yourself to our listeners? Maybe go over some more about you that you know I hadn't necessarily covered. Yeah, I'm Sean Hill. I'm from Milledgeville, Georgia, born and raised there. I went to school at the University of Georgia, and I've lived kind of around the country. I went to graduate school at the University of Houston before moving to the upper Midwest, uh, to Bemidji, where I I called Bemidji home for 10 years. I've spent some time in California. I was a Stegner Fellow at Stanford, so I lived in the Bay Area for a couple of years. I was a Creative Writing Institute Fellow at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, so I lived there for a year. I was an assistant professor at the University of Alaska Fairbanks. I lived up there for a few years, and now I live in Montana. So we're going to take it back a little bit to getting into writing, getting into poetry. Growing up, was that something that you had expected or wanted to do? Did that come later in life? How did how did you get into poetry? I got into poetry through a love of language and a desire to, to tell stories that grew out of a desire of reading stories. I was a reader growing up and I read a lot of fantasy and some science fiction and I liked those stories and wanted to become a writer. But there were no creative writing classes, so I didn't really know how to do that. I didn't have instruction in how to do that. Mm-hmm. So I had a lot of failed stories. I was trying to, I think I was starting with like trying to build worlds. So the world building stuff really kind of was fascinating. I like drawing maps and coming up with like, you know, cultures and, and characters, but making them, making them do things. And, you know, I, I couldn't figure that part out. It wasn't until I was in college, and so I was like, maybe you should try to write a poem. But I did. Uh-huh. <laughs> I was like, oh, oh, I can, I can do that. I can, I can describe something and and capture this moment uh, in a very brief space. And then I was like, oh, I need to study this. And in college, there were creative writing classes, so I, I could actually throw myself into that. And so that's sort of where poetry writing started for me. 
you know, I'm, I'm a failed, failed fiction writer. <laughs> I've, I know fiction writers who are like, oh, I'm a failed poet. You know, I think it's sometimes it's about sort of finding the genre that fits your yeah. temperament that allows you to sort of get into writing in a way. I mean, I also wrote essays in high school and in college and sort of discovered personal essays, but really the poetry poems are what grabbed me. But I, I think it's, it's just a matter of finding the thing that allows you to express what you need to express in writing. And then, you know, maybe you learn other techniques, other things you can you mm-hmm. do. I'm working on a collection now that's poems. And I, I think it's going to have a play in it. I've written a 12 minute play, a 10 minute play, and it's got some micro memoir. I'm sort of, working back in the essay genre. I've got a couple of short, short stories and I'm figuring out how to write. Yeah, so kind of on that, as you're working on something new, but the two that you have out right now, Dangerous Goods and Blood Ties and Brown Liquor, mm-hmm. both of those seem to have, or center around, I should say, the themes that kind of deal with place, travel, history, belonging, those kind of things. Mm-hmm. How did you find yourself honing in on these topics as things that you wanted to explore? They are my natural obsessions in, in some ways, right? And they mm-hmm. come out of my life. I'm drawing from my life experiences. But, you know, it's, it's this looking inward and looking outward as I'm trying to understand what's happening around me is what the work comes out of. The first book came out of wanting to know more about my family and the women in my family and sort of what their lives were like before I was born. So there's actually a series of poems in Blood Ties and Brown Liquor that are drawn from an interview I conducted with my grandmother, my my maternal grandmother. And uh, those poems, I think, were sort of the core for this part, what became the project of the book. It's like looking at the way the people that my my community, the black community in Milledgeville, lived. Mm-hmm. Sort of think about their lives and past generations. That project kind of carried on with the next book. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I didn't intend for it necessarily to happen, but you know, I moved to Bemidji, and then I'm like, well, one of the things I'm, I'm wrestling with, besides just sort of being struck by the natural beauty of the place and the the alien natural beauty to me as a southerner, it's like, oh, this this lake, this huge lake, freezes. You know, four four foot thick sheet of ice every winter does not happen in Georgia. I mean, there's a there's there's a lake in my hometown, but like it doesn't freeze like that. People aren't dragging houses on onto it to go fishing in the winter. You know, so that kind of thing. Sort of that was fascinating. Sort of the way that water and ice and light play, seeing northern lights for the first time, but also just like. There's bald eagles in northern Minnesota. Like I, I was writing down every time I saw a bald eagle when I first moved there, and at some point I realized like that's just kind of pointless. You know, it's it's it's, it's a wonderful occurrence every time I see one, mm-hmm. but it's like I, I don't need to make note of it. It's after like a couple of weeks, you're like, oh, this happens every day. Yeah, that's wonderful every day. But then also being in a place where it's like, oh, I don't see any black people here. Mm-hmm. So thinking about like what that means for me as a person not from there and who looks not like the people who are there now, right? Mm-hmm. Or then. I mean, it's changing. It changes every day. And so that was part of what Dangerous Goods was about, thinking about 
how we make home in a place and sort of working through culture shock and alienation and finding finding home mm-hmm. and figuring out what, what that is yeah that's kind of what I, I realized was part of my project is like one of the questions is like what is home how does home happen yeah. and that's what this next project is in part about as well thinking about community and place so in um blood ties and brown liquor you had you know, mentioned that you did interview some of your female family members, like your grandmother, and that one specifically also kind of delves into history a little bit more. It seems like a very big part of it in kind of tracking generations of, you know, family and things. What kind of research, did you do any research or what kind of research did you do going into that when, you know, learning about the different times and the space and the places and, you know, creating that? Yeah, research is a big part of what I do. I mean, I, I research like a creative writer, not like a historian. My wife is a historian and she conducts research differently and what she does with the research you know, mm-hmm. is different. But for me, I'm, I'm looking for blood tests and brown liquor. I interviewed my grandmother. I talked to other older people in the community. I read period newspapers. I, I read the time, you know, newspapers weren't digitized. So I had to look at microfish, I would go and spend hours at the, the library, at the, the college of my hometown, sort of microfish, microfilm machines, and um, just read old newspapers, like 1830s forward, just try to see what was going on in the antebellum period, the Confederate period, and up into the mid 20th century, I'm just reading old newspapers and just getting a sense of the place. By what was there in the newspaper and realizing that that's just one record, mm-hmm. right? Which is why I, I was talking to people in the community, like who sort of the records of their living memories, like what do you know and what were you told? As well as reading history books about my hometown specifically and also about sort of the South in general, what was happening in previous periods and wandering around my hometown with an eye toward the past and seeing like what buildings are here, what buildings are still standing, where were things in the past, you know, wandering the old cemetery there, um, looking around in, in there to see you know, who was buried and how were they memorialized and, and where were they in the cemetery because even the geography of the cemetery is, tells a story, like who gets placed where tells you a lot. And so that was part of the research for that book. There was research for dangerous goods as well. At some point, I sort of also began to think about where research is just a matter of being attentive and hopefully organized, right? Sort of living attentively and trying to keep track of of your observations, the knowledge that you're gaining. But for dangerous goods, I actually got a fellowship to this wonderful research library in Worcester, Massachusetts, the American Antiquarian Society Library. They have fellowships for scholars and uh, creative folk. So they, they let poets and, and writers and all kinds of other creative folk just sort of go and, and do research, read, and, and look at uh, period materials. So I went out there looking for material about the establishment of Liberia mm-hmm. as a colony. It was America's colony in Africa. And I was, I was fascinated by that you know, as 
a way of thinking about home. You know, in part, it came out of the research I'd done for Blood Ties and Brown Liquor. When I was researching for that book, I found that mention of a couple of men who'd gone to Liberia in the sort of during Reconstruction. So post-emancipation, there were still expeditions to to Liberia. So Liberia was established in like 1820, and um, the first sort of expeditions uh, taking black people from America to Africa, and taking African Americans from America to Africa, happened in the, the early 1820s, and sort of establishing establishing settlements there. And sort of establishing a new identity to the, the Americans, the African Americans who went to Africa, they became America Africans, mm-hmm. which I think is kind of fascinating, mm-hmm. you know. And so researching them and thinking about the, the, you know, these guys who left with their families, like 150 people left by hometown and the surrounding area in the 18, early 1870s to go to Liberia and and. One of them wrote back to the newspaper explaining how it was wonderful and he would never leave. It was just the sort of, there was freedom in America because of emancipation, but the amount of freedom that one would have in Liberia supplanted anything that people might have in you know America, that he wasn't coming back. And then another guy wrote back and he was like, I'm, I'm coming back. I'm actually in New York. I've only made it halfway. Can you, can you help me get back? Mm-hmm. And so the, these kinds of stories sort of, drove me to find out more and to try to fill in that picture more like what was going on Mm -hmm. in terms of thinking about home and where people can live which is kind of a central question in general you know it's one of the things we need we need we need shelter we need home and it's it's sort of at this point now this new book i'm working on i'm thinking about that also with an environmental lens as well like you know what are we doing to our home as a species and how are we treating the other other beings who share our home or share their homes with us, right? So that's that's one of my concerns. Yeah. And the research for that, as with the other books, comes out of reading, researching that way, the way we sort of generally think about research, right? But also it comes out of hiking, yeah. <laughs> wherever hiking wherever I am and talking to people and talking to observing other beings in our shared home and thinking about that in a way and then kind of work through that on the page. This episode of the Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by Door County Medical Center. Are you looking for a job in Door County with excellent benefits, culture, and potential for advancement through tuition reimbursement programs? Door County Medical Center is hiring. For more than 75 years, Door County Medical Center has been the leader in health and wellness for Door and Kiwanee counties. Their integrated medical center provides a wide range of specialties, including primary care, behavioral health, general surgery, the Women and Children's Center, the Door Orthopedic Center, the Door County Cancer Center, and more. To join the team, apply today at dcmedical.org slash careers. During the research that you've you know, done so far for your current works and the one that you're working on now. Was there anything that you found that was surprising to you? Something that you weren't expecting, maybe? Yeah, yeah. usually that's the stuff that gets on the page, yeah. honestly. The things that, I was like, oh, I didn't know that, or I hadn't thought about that. Mm-hmm. And it's it shows up somewhere. With you know, Dangerous Goods, I can think of one thing in particular. There was, in one of the books I was reading, this guy 
gone to Liberia in the 1880s, I believe, sort of was talking about the way in which at the equator, it's it's not far from, it's sort of equatorial Liberia, it's mm-hmm. not far from the equator, the light was different. Sort of, he, he mentioned that, you know, basically the days are, are evenly split between day and night, and the sun goes down, there's not much twilight. And I hadn't thought about that because it wasn't something I lived, mm-hmm. but researching it sort of brought that to my attention and it, it worked its way into one of the poems, like the way in which, you know, what it behaves there. You know, there's a, a recent poem that's in this new collection that I'm working on. And I took a class out to, on a research trip, basically. I like taking classes out into the field and the different mm-hmm. spaces. And we went to, a research forest. The University of Montana has a research forest, experimental forest. And so we were out there with the dendrologist, a, a tree scientist, and he gave us a tour and it was really wonderful. Like, you know, I find that often if you show an interest in what people are interested in, they want to share that with you. And he's, you know, he's a teacher and he's a professor. And he's just like, yeah, let's get it get these writers out here, let's talk about it. And we were in a stand of ponderosas, and this research forest had been donated to the university by a timber company, um, like in the, I think 100 years ago about, mm-hmm. and it had been clear cut, and they were like, well, here's some land, <laughs> it will grow mm-hmm. back, you know, it will grow back. And so it grew back, and there's this ponderosa stand there, and the dendrologist, was talking to us about them because I I've had experience with them in my life just sort of living in the West and do, hiking around and like you know you you always if you see a ponderosa you want to go up and sniff it because it's going to smell yummy and so I was like can you go, let's, let's everyone get go get up close to these trees and acknowledge them and you know then smell them mm-hmm. and they did. And I was like, what do you smell? And I just kind of let them do it because I was like, oh, it's going to smell like butter, butterscotch or vanilla or something. It's usually mm-hmm. what they smell like. And one of them said, it smells like granola and, and yogurt. And I was like, what do you mean granola and yogurt? And so then we had this whole conversation and he explained how like the different trees, different sort of groups of trees in different locations smell differently because of genetics and also where they are. Yeah. And I was like, what? Okay, yeah. And so... And because I also smelled the tree that at that point, I was like, oh, that does smell like granola and, and yogurt. <laughs> it, it smells yummy, yeah. right? And then you start, he just kind of goes on and talks about these trees for a while. And I'm just taking notes because everything he says is just fascinating. And one of the things he said, though, is that the ponderosas that are here in, in Montana had migrated from Mexico after the last ice age. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's fascinating to me as a poet, as a person who thinks about home and as a person who's from the South and who moves around and is living other places. I, I've migrated too. And so, you know, that's, that's in the, in one of those poems, you know, one of this, the, the things I've written for this next collection, thinking about trees migrating. That's very interesting. Yeah. It's like the concept of like a research forest. I've never, it's very cool in and of itself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So kind of on that, I have one more question before um, I jump into just a few Hal Prize things. And that was one thing that I noticed 
as I was preparing for this conversation was that you have participated in a lot of like multimedia collaborations or have had your work adapted into kind of like short story videos. And there was even, I saw an album of like poem songs. Yeah. And it sounds like in your new collection, you're going to be kind of, you know, writing in a few different styles, but what is the process of like adapting your poetry into a new form or integrating it with a different type of media, like with some of the videos and things like that? Mm, that's a good question. And, and I, I feel like different artists will answer that differently, mm-hmm. but the process varies and I'm always grateful to be a part of the process, however I am, Mm -hmm. because it brings my work to different audiences, Mm -hmm. right? My work changes in the process of collaborating or being adapted, but it still points back to my work that has its own life too. I mean, I kind of think of adaptations and collaborations like sort of cousins to my poems. Mm-hmm. And, you know, also when I think about my poems, I talk to my students about this, like there's different sort of sites of performance for the poem. Like there's this poem that's on the page within about the covers of a book, but there's also the poem that lives between me and an audience when I give a reading. Mm-hmm. So your question about the, the, the collaborations, the poem song album, that was very collaborative, hands-on. Like I was giving my collaborator, Eric Desmaris, vocals. I just, I read my poems and he actually used some of his production skills to draw cadences from my readings, to create beats. He played instruments. He built songs around my recordings and then I had to re-record the vocals at some point to put them back in. There's just a lot of sort of back and forth but we also, we, we talked about we listened to music together and we talked about different musics we like, different artists and genres and built what I think ended up being a fairly eclectic project around just our eclectic tastes and it was a lot of fun and it took a couple of years I think, yeah. going wow. back and forth and it was a lot of fun that way but then the other things, um, you mentioned uh, the sort of film adaptation, um, motion poems that was out of the Twin Cities, they would adapt poems to film, and I'm fortunate enough to have one of those. And that was, I was not really part of that process, mm-hmm. except that they took my poem and they adapted it into you know, a film. Mm-hmm. So it, it can vary. It can vary. I have poems that have been translated into the Korean and having poems translated in Korean just makes it available to a different audience. And I'm, I'm grateful for that. That's a, a kind of collaboration. But again, I, I had nothing really to do with that. Yeah. We, we didn't really sit down and talk too much. There was an interview conducted an interview, so she knows a little bit about what I'm thinking. But, you know, she's kind of done her own thing with the poems. And I hear they're good translations. I can't read Korean. Mm-hmm. I trust her. And then people have reported back and like, oh, these are good. I'm like, oh, that's great to hear. <laughs> <laughs> that's good yeah. to know. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it, it, yeah, it just it varies, but it's always great. It's always yeah. fun. Awesome. All right, so we're going to jump into um, the Hal Prize just a little bit to round this out. I'd just like to kind of touch again on for listeners who – you might be hearing the Hal Prize for the first time or don't know what it is. So the Hal Prize is the Peninsula Pulse's Creative Writing and Photography Contest that we've been running since 1998. 
And um, we are partnering with Right on Door County and the Peninsula School of Art this year as well is jumping in to help support our photography contest portion. So we're really grateful to have them on board this year in a more involved capacity. So one thing that, you know, we like to do, give our submitters a little insight is as judge for the poetry portion of the contest, what would you be looking for in a submission? <laughs> I'm, I'm looking to be surprised. I'm looking to be taught something. I, I'm open to all kinds of styles of writing, mm-hmm. different kinds of play on the page. As I've said before uh, earlier in this interview, even like I'm interested in place and home. And so how people think about those things, you know, attract my attention, you know, how they think about being in community. I'm interested in a poem that's going to make me think about something that I thought was familiar in a new way or think about something that I thought was strange in a way that might feel kind of familiar, make me see the familiar and the strange and the strange and the familiar. I love sounds. Mm-hmm. I love sound play. You know, the things that make good poems. Yeah. Sound play, image, metaphor. Yeah. So play with all of the tools that you have available to you. Yeah. yeah. Sure. And then do you have any advice for anyone that might be considering entering the contest or are unsure about that? Advice. I mean, my advice is just like send your best poems, right? Send the best work. Simple. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, you know, I think one of the great things about our contest, you know, is that we have a lot of people who are you know, new to, um, you know, writing in these different styles. And we also have people that have been doing this for a long time and they're all judged, you know, right next to each other. And, you know, we never really know what's going to go in till we have the final selections and you will see people that have had, you know, published works and you might have gotten recognition or accolades in different areas. And then, You'll have people that are new to this and have, are just doing this for the first time, or this isn't their, you know, their main profession. Like last year, for example, we had an honorable mention. She was a high school student down in Florida. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that just goes to show it doesn't matter where yeah. you are in the process of your writing and learning. The Hal Prize, I think, is a great place for people to get their feet wet in the world of writing contests, see what they can do. So submissions are currently open. Uh, We accept submissions in fiction, nonfiction, poetry, and photography. And submissions are open through September 1st. So there is still a little little bit of time to get your work out there. This year for judges, our photography judge is Alan Morris. We talked with Alan... I want to say back in May, if you want to learn more about him and his work and what he's looking for in submissions, that is available on the Peninsula Pulse website, which is DoraConnyPulse.com under the podcasts. Fiction judge this year is Toya Wolf. We just talked with Toya, I believe that was last month. So her interview is out there as well. So you can learn more about her. And then for nonfiction, we have Edward McPherson and our conversation is going to be coming up next month. So stay tuned for that. We have all of the prize info, pricing info, submission rules, and all of that on our website, which is thehowprize.com. And you can also reach out to us there with any questions. So before we wrap up, I just wanted to put it in your court one more time. If there's anything else that you might want to say to everyone before we kind of wrap up. 
Yeah, good luck. Send, send your best home. Good luck. Yes. All right. Thank you for taking the time to talk today uh, with me, Sean. I appreciate it. And we are looking forward to seeing what everyone sends us this year for poetry. Yeah. All right, everyone. Thanks. And we'll see you in the next one. Thank you, Grace. Thank you so much for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. If you want to support us at The Pulse, check out doorcountypulse.com shop, where you can get a weekly Pulse subscription, purchase some incredible Door County artwork from Pulse artist Ryan Miller, and much more. We hope you've enjoyed the Door County Pulse podcast, and we will see you next time.